The scripture reading will be uh, from the book of Philippians, uh, chapter 4, uh, verses 4 through 7. Again, that is Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. And it reads, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your, re- let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You may be seated. Once again, I must say I'm very happy to be with you this evening and very grateful for the opportunity I have to worship with you and to study from God's Word as we do from time to time. And I'm very happy that those who are on the Internet are following along, and I encourage you to get your Bible and follow along with us as we study God's Word this evening. And as you know, we were looking at this important subject to peace of mind that uh, the Bible really wants us to have, And the Bible tells us that we can have. And we were looking at a particular statement that we had put together. And this statement, of course, serves as the basis of our our lesson and the format of our uh, development for this morning and tonight. And the first thing that I'd like to do before I enter into this uh, statement is review just a little bit as to why the importance of a subject like this to have peace of mind. First of all, it's important because the Bible talks about it and the Bible teaches it, and that makes it important in and of itself. But secondly, I think it's desperately needed. It's desperately needed today in this day and time because of the difficulty, the problems that we face, problems that we face as families, the problem that we face as community, and as a nation, a state and a nation. Uh, There's not hardly a day that goes by where we do not see some kind of uh, rather devastating news, which can really be unsettling. And for that reason, we need to know what the Bible has to say about an important matter like this. And then, of course, every one of us goes through this difficulty of having peace of mind. It's not unique to you or unique to me, but every one of us faces this particular problem. And so many people go to the wrong place to get the answer to this. We made mention of that this morning in a brief way. They try to find peace and satisfaction in all the wrong places, but yet there is peace and satisfaction to be had when we go to Jesus Christ and the teaching of Christ. He said, my peace I leave with you, John 14 and verse 27. And so we can surely have peace of mind if we follow the teaching of Christ. And that was the point that we were developing this morning. If we could look at these particular elements of this statement, and the scriptures that back them up, apply them to ourselves properly, we can surely grow in this matter of having peace of mind. In a very turbulent period in our, our lives and in our, the history of our state and the history of our nation, it's a very turbulent period. We're facing problems with COVID. Uh, I've personally thought this thing's over with, but now it's beginning to come back again. It's surging back. I never would have thought that, but anyway, that's the way it seems to be, and we need to be considerate of that matter and do what we can to prevent uh, that in our lives if possible. But even if that's not possible and it's not prevented in our lives, surely we can still have peace of mind even in the face of such situations as serious and as dire as that. 
And the first point that I wanted to make mention for, uh, for you tonight is this point that God be my helper, God being my helper. It all goes back to God, and it all goes back to the fact that God is my helper. We'll learn more about that again this evening, but it's very important to begin at this particular place. And I think sometimes we look at the idea of having peace of mind and that God does it all. You know, Lord, give me peace of mind. As if God were to take a cup of peace of mind and just feed it to us whenever we have problems and difficulties of life and we come to not understand the problems that we're facing and we feel we're, our hearts are filled with anxiety and frustration. Just give me some peace of mind, almost like a double dose of a medicine or something like that. Well, it doesn't work that way. God is our helper. He's going to help us through these difficult times, but there are responsibilities which we have as well, and we want to talk about that tonight. But I also wanted to make mention of the fact I'm not the only one that needs help. There's a world full of needy people out there that I need to be aware of. And we tried to illustrate the importance of that by going to Luke chapter 10. You'll remember in the earlier portion of that chapter where someone came to Jesus and asked him, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind. And then he goes on to say, and to love thy neighbor as thyself. And then he launches into that great story about the Samaritan who helped the person who was truly in need. Well, that's the way it is with regard to New Testament Christianity. We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart. That's with our entire being, with our soul, with our strength, and with our mind. To love Him with our mind. Do we love Him with our mind as much as we do? Willing to study the Word of God and show that I really love God with my mind and I'm studying His Word and devoting myself to it and applying it to my life. Well, that was the point that we were making. There are a lot of people out there that need our help. There are a lot of people out there that need our spiritual help to help them see what the gospel really is about. And we must never forget the opportunities that God gives us along that line to help people see how to obey the gospel and to be in a covenant relationship with God. But then there are people who are out there that need the physical necessities of life and through no fault of their own may be suffering some serious reversal or some serious loss, and they need some help. And we need to be the kind of people that would be receptive to that particular matter. I illustrated that point by looking at the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1. He said, I have an obligation to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome, because he'd been given all these blessings which God had given, particularly to, in that first chapter, the blessing of being an apostle of Christ and the blessing of preaching the gospel to the Gentile world, that's chapter 1, verse 1, and 1, verse 13. And then I looked this morning at this point about being resolved. I need to decide I'm going to do this. And I said, this may be one of the more difficult points that we've got to face, that we are deciding to do this, we're going to do it, and we're going to make it happen in our lives. And I used as an illustration there this prodigal son, which you read about in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32, and there... The prodigal came to himself when he really got down low, when he really got beyond the help of anybody and everyone had deserted him. He said, you know, I'm going to do something. I'm going to get back up and I'm going to do this and I'm going to go back to my father. And it goes through that particular paragraph emphasizing the importance of his responsibility before God and how that he actually chose that particular matter to do the will and the word of God. 
Well, I thought of this particular passage. I think I'll mention it now. I didn't mention it this morning, but I think it's a good one to enter into this discussion, and that's 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I think you have a passage there that really teaches about resolve. And it comes to the end of the chapter, and the Apostle Paul makes the following statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Do the will of God so that you may win the prize. All of us can win that prize if we're faithful in our living of the Christian life. Every athlete exercises self-control, verse 25, in all things they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. I talked to a professor one time about this particular passage, and he was trying to say that you really can't lose your soul's salvation. And I was sitting there thinking, this passage is the strongest passage I know of in the Bible that says you can. And so I asked him about that question. He said, well, Paul wasn't talking about salvation in this particular passage. And I said, well, what's this imperishable wreath he's talking about then, if he's not talking about eternal life? They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. What is the imperishable wreath there if it is not eternal life, which God has promised to all those who obey him? And so I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. And so he's saying there's something that I've got to do here. I've got to discipline my body, I've got to keep it under control, and I've got to resolve to do what God has told me to do. If I continue to indulge in whatever I want to, I'm never going to have peace of mind. I'm never going to be able to accomplish what God wants me to have, and that is satisfaction and contentment in life. And so I'd have to say, God being my helper, in a world of needy people, I am resolved. Therefore, tonight I'd like to look at these other points that we have before us, and I'll have to be brief as much as I can, but I think you can see the wisdom which God has given us in these particular matters. I'm resolved to do what? To be responsible. I'm responsible for the things which I have done. I have to be responsible. I have to own up for that responsibility. I can't keep putting it off on other people. And I certainly cannot have the peace of God, which passes all understanding, contentment, and peace of mind if I'm not a responsible child of God. Now, Adam was a person that was given a great deal of responsibility in the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. God gave Noah responsibility, Genesis chapter 6. He's always given people responsibility. He's always given people purpose with regard to living. And in a general way, the purpose that we see in Ecclesiastes 12 and 13 is simply that, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. This is our purpose. Now, we will never have peace of mind if we do not come to understand the reason I'm here the purpose I'm here. I have a responsibility. God gave Adam a responsibility. He had a purpose. God gave Noah a responsibility. He had a purpose. God has given me a responsibility, and I have a purpose. And I'll never have peace of mind. I'll never have contentment and satisfaction if I do not fulfill that purpose which God has given for me. <clears throat> and generally stated from Ecclesiastes 12:13, that is to praise God, that is to live for Him, and to teach others the same, and in turn, 
devote myself to him. That useful purposefulness helps give me peace of mind. Now, the person who doesn't have any purpose in life and he doesn't have any will in life has gotten to the point where he cannot have peace of mind and uh, the peace of God, which God has promised. For example, here's an employee that's um, been uh, hired to do a particular job, but he's not doing his job. He's kind of uh, drifting in and out of work responsibilities, and he's always cognizant of the fact that I hope the boss is not watching me. I wonder if I can get by with this. There can't be any kind of peace of mind when you're, as an employee, not fulfilling your purpose. You were paid to do a purposeful thing. Then do that. But if you don't do that, you're not going to have peace of mind in that particular matter. Or here's an unfaithful spouse husband or wife, and they live in the constant fear of being found out with regard to the matter. They can't have peace of mind when they're not fulfilling the responsibility which God has given them. Or here are children. Here are children that are disobedient to their parents, and they think they're doing this on the sly, and that nobody knows that they're doing this, and they dread the thought of their parents finding out. At least parents who punish their children. If parents don't punish their children, then the children have nothing to fear and nothing to be concerned about. But if there is a responsible day which comes before the child, then he lives in consternation knowing Dad may find out about this, or Mom may find out about what I'm doing or what I'm saying or how I'm living. You see, you can't have peace of mind when you don't live up to the responsibilities which you have. God said to Abraham and said about him, For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord. Now that's Genesis chapter 18 and verse 19. And what he was saying with regard to Abraham is, I know Abraham will fulfill his responsibility. I know Abraham, and I'll, I know that he'll do what he is supposed to do. And we're never going to have the peace of mind, which God really wants us to have, if we do not have a satisfaction of doing what God told us to do. Fulfill our responsibility. Live as God has told you to live. You'll never have peace of mind without it. In Philippians chapter 2, the Bible passage there, Paul is talking to the church at uh, Philippi. He was in Rome at the time, Roman imprisonment, Philippians 2 and 12. That's what I have in mind. And, and they sent a gift by means of Epaphroditus, and he was very grateful for that. And he um, uh, tells them in this regard, verse 12, how appreciative he was of the gift. And then he talks about them. And he says in chapter 2, verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my presence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, this Philippians 2, 12 is an important verse. He's saying, now, you people, when God told you to do something, you did it. When God told you or gave you a job to do, you did it. It didn't matter whether I was with you or without you. It really is a compliment to them when he says, you did the will of God whether I was there or not. When God gave you a command, you fulfilled it. You were responsible for the, resp for the job that God gave you to do or the work that God has given you to do. 
It was a command that was given. This, the rest of this passage is interesting to me, and I, I'm going to take just a brief moment to kind of work my way into that. Not only does he use the word obeyed, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. I'm in Philippians 2, and I'm in verse 12. So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. It's the same thing as saying obeyed. He said obeyed in the first part of the verse. He said work in the latter portion of the verse. And what he means by that particular phrase is continue this obedient lifestyle all the way to the end. Fulfill your responsibility that you continue this lifestyle of obedience and submission to the will of God all the way to the end. Restoration preachers would cite passages like that because they were facing people who were steeped in the idea of Calvinism that they really didn't have anything to do with their salvation, didn't have anything to do with losing their salvation, and couldn't lose salvation if they had it. And if they didn't have it and God didn't choose them, they weren't going to have it, no matter how much they might try and how much they might desire it. And they would come up with great passages such as this, which said, you have something to do here. You have a responsibility, and you're never going to be happy. You're never going to have the peace of God in your mind until you fulfill your God-given responsibility. And that God-given responsibility is to be obedient to Jesus Christ and be obedient to God Almighty all the days of our life. Continue this obedience is what he's saying. Work out, continue to work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling because we know if we don't what we'll have. The trembling refers to the great judgment that is to come. I'm in Philippians chapter 2 and I'm examining as best I can a tremendous passage of Scripture. It's found for us in verse 12. And it certainly is teaching us of the responsibility that we have because if I'm going to have the peace of God in my heart, And in my mind, I've got to understand God being my helper. In a world of needy people, I am resolved to be responsible. I've got to do it. Responsibility is certainly an important matter. Now, I was in Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to go to Philippians chapter 1. And in Philippians chapter 1, you have verse 21, which I think is a marvelous passage indeed as we're talking about this responsibility. There in verse 20, verse 21, for, we, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. There's a man that's got the peace of God in his heart. There's a man who's fulfilling his responsibility in this particular matter. Another great Bible passage is found for us along this line, the book Second Timothy. Now turn right quickly to it, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and the verse, verse 12, which is why I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard unto that day what he has entrusted to me. He is totally faithful, totally confident, has the peace of God in his heart and in his mind because he has fulfilled to the best of his ability. He was not perfect in the matter, but to the best of his ability, the responsibility that God had given him. I am resolved to be responsible. It's my responsibility. It is my responsibility with regard to my soul. 
Now, if we're going to have peace of mind as God wants us to do, I think we need to understand this additional point. We must be resolved to face reality. We do not live in a dream world, and we cannot live in a dream world. If we're to live in fantasy land all the time, we're going to be worse off than when we were before. We've got to face reality. I believe Jesus was a realist. He was a man who would face reality. He knew the temptations and the trials that he faced, and they were very real. He lived up to them, though he was despised and rejected of men, but he persevered in living a sinless and productive life. He warned his disciples, you've got to live in reality here. In John chapter 15, the verse is verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you were not of the world. But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You've got to live in reality. It's not always going to be the way we want it. I wish everybody liked me. I want everybody to like me. I want everybody to love me. But I know that's not real. That's not being realistic. Everyone didn't like Jesus, and everyone didn't love him, nor do they love him today. But I can't allow the dislike, the distrust, and the disapproval of others to cause anxiety in my heart and to prevent me from having this peace of mind that God wants me to really have. I have a responsibility here to live in the real world, and I'm resolved to do it. I know this is the way the world is. It's not always going to be the way I want it, but still, this is the world that I live in at the present. We always want everyone to like us. We want everyone to be approval. We seek the approval of others many times. But the fact of the matter, everybody's not going to like us. Everybody, everybody's not going to. The Apostle Paul faced death on more than one occasion. And this particular passage came to my mind as I was thinking about it. It's in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 24. In fact, there are two passages that really are connected in this regard. And this Acts 24 and 16 passage talks about his conscience. And he's standing up there before his accusers. He's been indicted for error and wrongdoing. And he's standing up and defending himself. And he says through the course of this particular defense... So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. He was a person who was concerned about his conscience, and he always followed the conscience, the dictates of his conscience. His conscience had to be trained better. Sometimes he did the wrong thing, but even still, in doing the wrong thing, he thought he was doing the right thing. Turn over to Acts chapter 23 and verse 1. And he says, looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. So you ought to kind of put a mark between these verses and reference one with the other. One, Acts chapter 23 and verse 1. And then the other, Acts 24 and verse 16. Paul addresses the matter of the conscience. And he said, I have lived in all good conscience. Now, he, he had done some bad things in his life. 
He was injurious. He was egregious. He was a murderous type of individual against the church, breathing out slaughters against the church, but yet he thought he was doing the right thing. He didn't violate his conscience in the matter. He was doing the wrong thing. He was violating the will of God and the Word of God, and he learned that. And then when he learned the truth about the matter, he changed. He's being true to his conscience. You see, he could have gotten up there and he said, you know, I realize that you fellows really are, dis- are disappointed in me, and I'll try to do a better job next time. You know, violating his conscience and compromising himself is not going to give him the peace of mind. A person who violates his conscience cannot have peace of mind. He's got to live in all good conscience before God. So if I've been involved in something whereby I knew it was wrong and I shouldn't do it, or I know I'm doing the wrong thing and I shouldn't. You're never going to get the peace of mind that God wants you to have if you continue to violate your conscience. You have to face reality. You have to face reality with regard to your mistakes. You have to face reality with regard to your sins. And you have to face reality with regard to whatever's out there that we're going to face. Now, we don't know what we're going to face out there. There's a um, You know, just all kinds of difficulties and problems and disasters that could come upon us that we never saw coming. The very best thing that we can do is try to prepare ourselves ahead of time and try to come to an understanding that I can accomplish this or go through this with the will of God. We cannot have peace of mind until we face life realistically with all of its problems, and there are problems all kinds of problems. And you don't need me to list the possible problems that you and I can face in this life. I'm speaking to a congregation of people. I'm sure enough people here, you face them all by looking at them all together with your life, my life, his life, her life. We probably faced everything you can face. There are probably things out there that we never dreamed we're going to have to face, but we're going to to face it. And we cannot deny its reality and we cannot deny its existence. And we're going to have to say, with God's help, I'll go through this particular matter. I cannot live in a fantasy land and have peace of mind. I cannot be the kind of person who tries to say, don't be concerned about it, it's not real. Now, you've got a whole religious denomination that views it that way, and that's why I'm working on this a little bit in that regard. I'm not going to get off on that other than this is the truth of the matter. We face reality as Christian people, and when we're wrong, we're wrong, and we repent of it. And we're grateful for the fact that we have the opportunity to do so. God being my helper in a world of needy people, I'm resolved to be responsible, to face reality, and do what I ought to do. Here's another one that's not easy for us to accomplish. But if we're ever going to have peace of mind, we're going to have to do what we ought to do. Do what God has told us to do. Jesus is the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Hebrews 5, verse 8 and verse 9. The person who thinks that he can get by and just through having uh, no matter how much fun he might be having or how much money he may be making or all of the failures and troubles and thoughts and dreams that are constantly coming up, that if you can have peace of mind with regard to those matters and not do what God has told us to do, you're robbing yourself of the peace of mind. You've got to do this. You've got to do what you ought to do. Even Jesus did this 
Romans chapter 15 and verse verse 3, even Jesus pleased not himself, Paul said in that particular passage. In John chapter 6 and 38, I am come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. I'm doing what I ought to do. Now, Jesus did it perfectly. He did everything just exactly the way he should have done it, and he was pleasing in the sight of God because of it. And that's the example that I've got to follow as best I can. I've got to do what I ought to do. Now, again, I say that's a lot easier said than done. But that has to be done in order to have peace of mind, whereby a person can lay his head down on his pillow at night and feel satisfied and have a sense of contentment because he knows he did his best for the Lord that day. Now, he's not perfect. He's not perfect in any regard. Everyone makes mistakes. But his pillow is not stuffed with thorns, as it were, tossing and turning because of his conscience, because he knew he should have done, but he did not do. When that person comes to grips with the fact, I must do what I ought to do, then a person can have this peace of mind which we so desperately want. Now, I think I've shared this with you before, but I think it's so apropos, I I added it to our thought this evening And that is a letter that I read from someplace. It wasn't me, I can tell you that right now, but it was a letter that I read from someplace and I wrote it down. And I think I mentioned this before. It's about a fellow who wrote to the tax um, examiners and the auditors. And he said, enclosed you find $200 cash. I cheated on my income tax last year and it has been bothering me. I'm sure you could never discover my cheating. So there is no need to apply this to my record. Just apply it anywhere. Then, he adds a P.S., if I still can't sleep, I'll send the rest of it. (laughs) Well, do you think that guy ever really slept? I don't know that the guy ever really slept. You see, you can't hold back. You have got to do what you ought to do. Now, we do that. We hold back. We hold back in doing what God wants us to do. We hold back in meeting our commitments We hold back in fully committing ourselves to the Lord and to His service. But you can't do that and still have this peace of mind. That prodigal son would find no peace, and I'll not rehearse that story, which we looked at again this morning, but he could find no peace until he did what he was supposed to do. I just don't know how important to say doing what God wants us to do is part and parcel of this particular matter of receiving peace of mind and the relaxation and satisfaction that God really wants us to have. And then there's one other. Not only am I resolved, but I'm resolved to be responsible, to face reality, to do what I ought to do, and to like it. Now somebody says, yeah, that's a hard thing to do. I grant you that. That is a hard thing to do to like it. But I think liking it is what puts all this together. When we, realize, when we realize that I like doing what God has told me to do, and that there's happiness involved in doing the will of God. 
Let me see if I can illustrate what I'm talking about. And this is really where I got the point, Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5 is the beginning of the Lord's Sermon on the Mount. And then he goes through this list, what has come to be called the Beatitudes. Come from a Greek word, makarios, which means to be happy. And some translations will translate it happy. This translation translates it blessed. And the old archaic way of saying this is blessed, which was an, which was an older English word. Blessed or blessed are the poor in spirit. And blessed are those who mourn. In Matthew 5 and 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, if you look at this particular section of the Sermon on the Mount, you would wonder, how can anybody be happy in a situation like that? Verse 3, happy are the poor in spirit, and happy are those who mourn, and happy are the meek. In verse 6, happy are those who hunger and thirst. Well, how can someone be happy in a regard like that and like it to do this and like it? Happy are the merciful, verse 7. Happy are the pure in heart. Happy are the peacemakers. Happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, how can a person look at that and be happy? Well, as I said, this particular matter is trying to tell us it's not what's on the outside that makes us so happy. It is the contentment that we have on the inside. And it's a situation where you would think, now how can anybody be happy in a situation like that? But he's simply telling us that these particular matters being a part of our lives, when we realize it's uh, happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. He's emphasizing the importance here that even though we face these difficulties of life, like being persecuted, that he makes mention of in verse 10, uh, happy are uh, the, those who are hungering and those who are thirsting for righteousness, happy are they. Well, these particular matters, these adversities and these difficulties of life, we can actually grow to be happy through difficulties like this because happiness is not what's on the outside. Happiness is contentment on the inside. I learn to like it. Even though it's a difficult situation, I still learn to like the situation that I'm in because I am happy. Now, somebody might say, well, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's hard for me to digest. Here you got people that are miserable and that they ought to be uh, filled with a great deal of unhappiness. But it is how we respond to the difficulty whereby the happiness is created in our heart. You see, it's not on the outside. And I used to think about happiness this way when I was younger. Man, I would really be happy if I could get a car. If I could get my license and I could drive a car, then I will be happy. And then it went from there to, I'd be so happy when I get out of high school. And then it went from there to, I'd be so happy when I graduate from college. And there it went to, you know, happiness was always just a step ahead of me. And I was always trying to reach for it. And I was always trying to obtain it but it was always out there, just a little bit ahead of me. And I was never, ever really able, when looking at it that way, to have genuine happiness. Because happiness is not attached to situations, good things happening to me. 
Happiness is not created because I got something special. Happiness is created on the inside when I respond properly to the trials and the difficulties of life. It is not based on what others do, what others say. Sometimes I've talked to parents and they say, well, I'd be so happy if my kids would do what's right. Or I'd be so happy if my husband would do the right thing. Allowing your happiness to be in the hands of someone else. Do not allow your happiness to be in the hands of someone else. Whether it be children or grandchildren or spouse or anyone like that. Happiness is created on the inside when I properly respond to the situation that I'm facing. Well, maybe I could come up with an illustration that would help me understand this important point about happiness and this matter of the things which I face in life, learn to like the resolve that I have to be responsible and to face reality and to do what I ought to do. And I think a pretty good illustration is found in the Bible once again. It's found for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And this really is where we need to work into as we're looking at this particular moment and beginning to wind down. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, about verse 23, he talks about difficulties of life. Oh, he's faced some real problems. And I mean, he faced reality here. 2 Corinthians 11, 23, And thy servants of Christ, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm not going to deal with all the context here. I don't have the time. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And a night and a day I was adrift at sea. And on and on and on it goes. This man had to face reality. and It was a very serious matter with regard to him. But yet he comes up into the next chapter and talking about how life was like as an apostle, he says... God has honored me in one wonderful way. Now, you go through 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and you see how he talks about himself being caught into the third heaven and seeing things he was not allowed to speak about. God has really honored me in a wonderful way. God honored me in a special type of way. Even though I faced all these particular matters, I was truly honored by God. But then he goes into verse 7 and verse 8, and he says, God really humbled me. And he says in verse 7, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. And three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, this is verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you. I'm reading out of the New Testament tonight, and I'm reading 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I began the reading at about verse 7 and continued on down through to the part of verse 9. And I'm realizing that this man faced difficulties of life. And you have to ask, ask the question, did he like his life? Did he have peace with God in his heart and in his mind? 
even though he faced such problems in life. You know, you and I are going to face problems like that. I don't know what the problems are going to be like for you. I don't know what the problems are going to be like for me, but we're going to face them. Well, here's a man who faced very difficult problems, but still he was happy. He was happy. And notice how he could be happy, Philippians chapter 4. And this is our text where we started this morning and where we began tonight. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be mine known to everyone the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Now here we go. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, I've just read a Bible passage where he was filled with all kinds of problems and troubles and turmoils and difficulties of life. Why, he lost his life and the possibility of losing his life, I guess, more than once, beaten a number of times a day and a night in the deep, a shipwreck, all those particular matters which we read a moment ago, Second. Corinthians chapter 11, but yet he's telling me about all this particular matter. He says in verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You'll have the peace of God. It's not based on what's happening to me. It's not based on good things that happened to me or things that I got. Happiness is not the things that I achieve personally. Happiness is created in my heart, knowing I've done the will of the Lord, and I've responded properly to these adversities and the difficulties of life. I'm still in Philippians chapter 4. He says in verse 11, Not that I speak of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I'm in Philippians 4 and verse 11. What do you think he means by content? I think he means has peace of mind. I'm content. There's a lot of history behind this word content. Some translations use it self-satisfaction or satisfaction. That's not a bad way to translate this particular matter. I'll tell you something. I will break down a little bit and tell you a little bit of the history of this word content. It's often used with regard to the pagans and their cults in the first century. And they would use it as a means of initiation rites. Now, Paul's not using it in that way for sure, but he's saying, through the course of my life, I'm being initiated into the, child, the, the life that God has given me as a child of God. I know how to be brought low. He's been there. He's been there in a situation where he was very low. And I know how to abound. He's been there. He knows when abundance is there in his hand and how to handle it. He's experienced that as well. You see how he contrasts both of these. In any and every circumstance, I have learned. See, God's not going to give it to us with a cup of peace of mind. Just say, here, drink that, and your problems are going to be over. Paul said, I've learned it. Now, the aorist tense is used here in this passage, which conveys the idea at one point in time in the past, he'd learned it. But he goes on to say that because of that learning, the rest of his life, he's learning this principle 
of happiness with regard to the trials of life. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He says it's a secret. I've learned the secret. How well he says, I've learned the secret, he's conveying the idea. A lot of people are not going to find this. A lot of people will never learn peace of mind and they'll never come to understand how to have it in their lives because they're so wrapped up in the difficulties and the reversals and the problems and the this and the that, they will never understand it. They'll never come to understand the secret. And what is the secret? Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can endure it. Oh, I don't want to have to. But my happiness is not dependent upon this or that or that good thing happening or that bad thing happening to me. My happiness is dependent upon me being faithful to God and having confidence in Him that I can endure all things. There is no shortcut. This is not a cheap fix. This is something Paul said, I've learned through the course of my life, and a lot of people never learn this secret, that I can face these matters, and I can do it through and with the help of God Almighty. Therefore, I say, God being my helper, in a world of needy people, I resolve to be responsible to face reality, to do what I ought to do, and to like it, to grow in happiness, even though the world around me is filled with suffering and chaos and sin. Now, if you live like that, you're going to have the peace of mind that God promises to every individual. If you need to be baptized tonight, then why not begin this journey of having satisfaction, contentment in life by becoming a faithful Christian, repenting of your sins, being baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. If you're a Christian but you've not been faithful, you may want to be saying to yourself, I need to face my responsibilities. I need to be resolved. I need to change. I need to repent. And I pray you will right now. Won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?